So I want to start tonight, we're kicking off a brand new series tonight called Home, and I want to start off with a question, I think a fairly obvious question when you think about home. Um, Where is home to you? Like when you think about home and you think about where you grew up, like where is home to you? And and usually the questions that we ask around here um, are rhetorical. Usually I don't expect you to actually answer the question, but this time I would love to hear from you. Um, Where is home to you, like somebody, give me, give me, give me a shout. Where is home to you? Somebody, right here. Where, where's home to you? Statesboro. That's south of Georgia, right? Nailed it. That's awesome. Okay. Who else? Who's farther than Statesboro? Anybody farther from state than Statesboro? Don't be shy. We're all friends here. Come on. Who you got? Somebody. What you got? Where are you from? Gainesville, Florida. Okay. Welcome to the show. This is Georgia. That's awesome. Um, any anybody farther than uh, than Georgia? Anyone farther than Florida? Excuse me. Anybody farther than Florida? Anybody? Right there, where are you from? Oklahoma, the Thunder. That's a basketball team. You probably knew that. That's amazing. Can anyone, can anyone beat Oklahoma? You can. Michigan, you cold man. That's what you are. Um, that's incredible. Can anybody beat Michigan just out of curiosity? No way. Where? The ne- Did you just say the Netherlands? That's a different country, right? How did you get here so fast? Traffic's terrible from hearts. That's a, what's your name? Mal? That doesn't sound very Netherlandish. Ma- I'm sorry. Maui. Hey, Mal from the Netherlands. We're so glad you're here. I don't even, I want to know your story later because it would be awkward for us to have this conversation. The Netherlands. That's amazing. Y'all have a great soccer team. Um, we, m- m- one of my favorite things about college ministry is that you go across the room and you've got people who are home kind of all over the place. Their home is all over the world, all over the country, all the different kinds of places. And for me, um, I did not grow up in the Netherlands. Um, I grew up in Marietta, Georgia. Um, and yeah, right down the road, not Netherlands at all. Uh, and that's, but I was born, I was born in Lebanon, Tennessee, which is ironic because I'm Arab. Uh, I thought my parents like thought it was like home, and it wasn't. It was Tennessee, uh, but that's where. I, but we, mo- I moved it from there when I was two. So Marietta is really home for me. Marietta is really where I grew up. It's where I got all my childhood memories. Um, but it's interesting, right? Like when you think about home, for, for a certain time in your life, like your default is to think of your hometown. Your default is to think of, of where you grew up. But you probably know this, and some of you probably experienced this. As you get older, as you move along in life and go different places and do different things, and eventually for some of you, when you get married, like there are going to be different places that will come to be known as home. And I experienced this um, just recently, this past weekend, so me and my wife, Julie, we've been married uh, for two years in September. We are crushing it so far. Um, I think we're going to make it. And um, <laughs> as long as she still likes me. And so we moved from our apartment this weekend. Um, and, you know, when you're moving, if you've ever moved, if you're a guy, like, you just want efficiency. You know what I mean? Like, it, stuff might break, but you just want to get it done quickly. And so I didn't have very much time to feel anything. I just wanted to get everything packed up. I just wanted to get everything in the U-Haul. And then eventually, you know, we got it all packed up, and then we moved the U-Haul. And then the apartment was empty. And me and Julie, we came back, and, and, and everything is gone, and nothing is in there, and we just kind of had this moment, and to be perfectly honest with you, it was emotional. Like, we were kind of hugging, and she was like, are you crying? And I was like, no, are you, are you crying? You know, I was. I was crying, and I'm okay with that. I cry, and there's nothing wrong with that, fellas. Everyone needs a good cry sometimes. Ladies, am I right? Um, 
But I was, I was crying and, and she was crying and it wasn't because, yeah, we were sad to leave, but it was one of those, it was just kind of this moment where we were like, man, this really was home. Like the reason why I was so emotional leaving was because ever, you know, as long as we've been married, that's the first place that felt like home for her and I. It's where we kind of started our marriage together. It felt like home. And so it was emotional. And, and I did something that is way more spiritual than I actually really am. I prayed, um, and, and that sounds kind of corny, but, but I just wanted to thank God that we were sad to leave. I wanted to thank God that we were sad to leave, that we had all this place that felt like home, that we knew was home, that we could be comfortable in, that we made memories in, where our, our relationship grew, where we had friends over in different kinds of gatherings. And as we were about to walk out, I said, hey, Julie, what do you want, like, the last thing to do? Like, what, what should we do? What's the last thing we should do here in this apartment? And she's like, how about a kiss? And I was like, uh, how about we upgrade that to a makeout? You know? Um, <laughs> she didn't go for it. But we... We, we did kiss, and it was a sweet moment to leave our empty apartment, and we locked the door. Um, now, look, I'm excited to live in a home. I am actually thrilled to live in a home. I cannot wait to live in a home. I'm not going to miss having to explain to my friends where guest parking is. I'm not going to miss having to go down the elevator to check my mail. I'm not going to miss 800 square feet of living space, okay? But here's the thing. The reason why it was sad to leave, and you know this, home home is way more than just a place that I'm not going to miss that because necessarily of the place but because of what happened there but, but because of the memories we made there because of what it was to you to, to, to me and to Julie and that's the interesting thing about home right you know the old adage you could finish it for me home is where the heart is and you know you might have heard that it sounds kind of corny but here's essentially what that means that that home is this thing that's kind of hard to explain fully with words but at the same time it's universally understood anyway isn't it that home is where the heart is in other words it's more than a place it's more than a location right home um, is where you're comfortable Home is where memories are made. Home is where adventures were had. Home is where friendships were built. Home is where you had your first birthday party. Home is where you turn up in front of the mirror when you're brushing your teeth just because you can, you know? Um, home is where you can kick your feet up. Home is where you can be you. Home is where you can go back to no matter what. Home is where family is. Home is where love is. Home is where you know that you belong. Home is where you grow. See, it would be easy for us just to think about home as the walls that we grew up in or the neighborhood we ran around in making crazy things happen with our friends. But, but here's what's true about home is that all the things that make home feel like home are things that you and I desire in every single season of life no matter where we are. Things like love, things like belonging, family, and authenticity. That no matter where you go in life, no matter where I go in life, no matter how old we get or where we go or what we do, we're always looking for love. We're looking for people, for a family to love us as we are, not as we should be. We're looking for a place where we know we belong, where you don't have to wonder if you belong, you don't have to wonder whether or not this is for you, but somewhere where we can know in confidence, yeah, this is for me. And isn't it so true? We all want a place, whether we have it or not, where we can feel the freedom of authenticity to be completely ourselves and that's why that's why the idea of home away from home even exists 
And isn't it so true that in college is maybe the first time you ever really need a home away from home? I mean, think about it. For a lot of you, for a lot of you, you're living not at home. You're living on campus, living in some apartment somewhere. So for nine months out of the year, you're not even home. And for those of you that do still live at home, my goodness, you're not at home very much, right? For all of you, college, and even college age, you're transient. You're dorm to dorm, apartment to apartment, Chick-fil-A to Chick-fil-A, Starbucks to Starbucks, Chipotle to Chipotle, free t-shirt to free, you know, like you're just all over the place. And, and maybe, maybe for the first time ever, or maybe more than ever in college, you need a place where you know you're loved, a place where you've got your people that you can call family, a place where you belong, a place where you can feel the freedom of authenticity, or what we like to say, a home, away from home. And that's what this series is going to be about, how this place, how the living room, how Woodstock City Church can be a home away from home for you and even for the people in your circles of influence, for the people on your campuses or the people that live in your apartment complex, how it can be a home away from home for them too, even if they're not here yet. And so tonight what I want to do, I just kind of want to lay a foundation for the series. And, And to do so, right, for some of you, when you think about church, The idea of a church being a home kind of is weird. To think about the church being like this place where you can find all the things that you would find at home might be a little bit of a foreign concept. And I think the reason why that is, I think the reason why we don't necessarily immediately equate church or faith with home, love, and family is because for the longest time, and if I can be totally candid, especially with young people and amongst college students, the church has been known for all the wrong things. And that's not your fault. That's our fault. See, maybe, maybe you're in the room tonight and you're not even really sure what you believe about faith. You might not have faith at all. You might not even say if we were having a conversation that you believe in God and all. And guess what? That's okay. We're glad you're here. But for you, right, for you, when you think about church, you just think about religion. That's all that church has ever been to. Home, no, it's just, it's religion. It's a religious system. It's about the do's and don'ts. It's a system that I kind of have to conform to. Maybe for some of you, it's your first time back in church for a while. And you're not even really sure if you belong. You're not even really sure if this is for you. And so maybe for you, the reason why church is kind of weird to think about it being like home is because for the longest time, church has just kind of been about criticism and legalism, trying to whip you into shape, always telling you what you're doing wrong and never telling you how to do anything right. And and I would also guess that there's a vast majority of in the room who would say you do have faith. And maybe you've been following Jesus for so long, you've been doing this whole church thing for so long, that that church, it's not even a home, man, it's just a program. It's just a thing that you do. You show up on Wednesday night, you get your worship on, you get your Jesus fix in, and then you leave with your free t-shirt, and you might come back next week as long as you don't have a test on Thursday. It's just a thing that you do. And so if that's kind of what you've thought, if you've fallen into any of those categories, then yeah, no wonder the idea of church being home is a bit of a foreign concept. But let me just tell you, here at Woodstock City Church and here at the living room, we want to put a premium on people over programs. We want to put a premium on relationships over religion. We want to put a premium on compassion over criticism. And we want to put a premium on love over legalism for the simple reason that that is exactly what Jesus That Jesus, when he was on earth, he prioritized people and relationships and compassion and love to such a degree that the least religious people of the first century could not get enough of Jesus. That the people that were always flocking around to hear Jesus were the 
bad people of the first century. They were the worst of the worst. And they loved Jesus so much, and Jesus welcomed them so much that he actually made the religious people of the first century angry. He made the religious people frustrated because they did not like the community that Jesus was building. They did not like the family that Jesus was building. And Jesus pushed the envelope all the time when he was here on earth. It would have been incredible to be around when Jesus was alive. It would have been next level kind of crazy. But he pushed the envelope specifically in the way that he answered this one question. And I'm going to answer that one question tonight. And it's this. Who belongs in the family of God? Who belongs? I mean, really, who's it, who's it for? I mean, do you belong? Do you feel like you belong? Maybe you're wondering, well, does my, does my roommate belong? Does my brother belong? What do I have to do to belong? What am I not allowed to do to continue to belong? Who belongs in the family of God? And the way that Jesus answered this question flipped the first century upside down. And my hope is as we answer this question tonight, it would flip KSU upside down. It would flip Georgia Highlands upside down. It would flip Chattahoochee Tech upside down. It would flip wherever you come from, maybe all of Kennesaw and Woodstock upside down. And so to answer that question, I want to look at Luke chapter 15. Luke chapter 15, we're going to have the verses up here for you. Luke chapter 15 is one of the most famous chapters in all of the New Testament. Um, and here's what I need you to know about Luke chapter 15 is that um, it describes for you and for me in, in, in such amazing imagery the love of our Heavenly Father. And the reason why that's foundational is because it is that love that's going to ultimately make this place a home away from home. And so we're going to look at Luke chapter 15 starting in verse 1. Now, the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus. Remember, the tax collectors, that was a, a grouping of the worst of the worst. Now get this picture, Jesus is chilling, he, you know, he's on stage, he's got his microphone on, just kidding, but, and, and, and all these tax collectors and sinners are gathering up, they can't wait to get enough of Jesus. Our, our senior pastor says it like this, um, that people who were nothing like Jesus, liked Jesus. In fact, they loved Jesus. But then, the, but the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, the, the, the religious people, the, the pastors of the first century, muttered, this man welcomes sinners and he eats with them. In other words, that, that, that Jesus is building a community with people that we think have no business being in that community. They muttered because they did not like the family that Jesus was bringing in. Because for the religious people, for the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, religion was a system of exclusion. Religion was a system of exclusion. It was a way for the religious people to draw a line in the sand and to say, hey, yeah, you don't look like us, you don't talk like us, you don't believe like us, you don't live like us, you don't fast like us, you don't pray at synagogue like us, you don't read Torah like us, um, yeah, you don't sacrifice like us, so you don't belong. Religion was a system of exclusion. It was a way for the religious leaders to say, yeah, you are a part of the family, but I'm sorry, you cannot be a part of the family. You don't belong. And so in response, Jesus gives us in Luke 15 these three back-to-back-to-back parables. And you've probably heard snippets of some of them at one point or another. And we're gonna kind of walk through all three and the first one being the parable of the lost sheep, the parable of the lost sheep. Now, um, and Jesus, he, he's kind of telling the story, and he's like, hey, this shepherd, he's got a hundred sheep killing the game, got a hundred sheep, but then one of the dumb sheep wanders off, 
And the shepherd is left with 99 sheep. And so Jesus is like, well, what does the shepherd do? And Jesus immediately answers his own question as he's telling the parable, he's telling the story, that the shepherd immediately leaves the 99 and he goes and he looks for the one. Now, I don't know about y'all, we're still getting to know each other, but 99 is really close to 100. I mean, look, my friend Mal from the Netherlands, if you've got $100 and I've got 99, look, girl, I don't care if you're, I ain't sweating you. You know what I'm saying? Like, if you've only got $1 more, I'm good. I'm not looking at you. I'm not trying to go to the Netherlands to get an extra dollar from you. Like, I'm fine, you know? 99 is really close to 100. And so my thought is, man, why go through the trouble? I mean, well, why go through the energy? Why go look for the one? And then not to mention, it would have been risky for a shepherd to leave 99 sheep. Because, you know, I think we all think that squirrels might be the dumbest animals on the planet, but actually sheep are the dumbest animals on the planet. Sheep are so dumb, I'm being serious, sheep are so dumb that in the dark, if they're not being led well, they will walk off a cliff and die, okay? How dumb is that? Yeah, but don't, don't feel bad, it's their fault. Like, don't walk off a cliff. I'm sorry, low compassion. Uh, but, and then, and then if they don't have a shepherd to protect them, I mean, they could get attacked by a wolf and he's having lamb chops, you know what I'm saying? And so... It was risky to leave the 99, but Jesus is like, no, you leave the 99 and you go look for the one that is lost. And Jesus goes on and he tells, he says that the shepherd finds the one lost sheep and he carries it home on his shoulders and they have a party to celebrate that the sheep that was lost is now home. Got a big celebration. They've got sheep pinata hanging from, that would be insensitive, right, at a sheep party. But he brings them home and they, (laughs) you ever run away again you know um but this parable is a picture of the illogical love of God the illogical love of God that to the normal human mind we would think leave the one why would you leave 99 it doesn't make sense it's illogical it doesn't make sense I don't understand it's the kind of love that makes you do a double take like I'm sorry what that is the love of our heavenly father It's the kind of love that makes you think, wait, I don't understand why you love me. I don't understand why you do this. I don't understand, my goodness, it's beyond me, the illogical love of God. Then Jesus goes on and he tells the parable of the woman who, uh, in the lost coin, uh, there's this, I don't know why it's a woman. I think men lose things way more than women, and maybe it's just me. This should be the man who lost, like, his wallet. But um, it's a woman, and she has 10 silver coins, and she loses one. But she doesn't, like, lose it anywhere. She knows that she she loses it in the house. So she starts looking for the coin. You ever lost anything, you know, and you're looking for it? I don't know about you, but if I know I've lost it in the house, I'm probably going to let it go after a minute. You know what I mean? Like, I'm just going to, like, it's fine. I'll find it later. It'll later. Um, it'll, It'll turn up. It's fine. But Jesus tells this story that she doesn't stop. Like, she relentlessly looks for this coin. She keeps going until she finds the coin. The words that Jesus used, you ought to go read it. She flips her living room upside down, and then she finds the coin. And then she throws a party to celebrate. That probably cost more than the coin she found. But they celebrate. Why? Because the thing that was lost is now found. And the parable of the lost coin represents for you and for me the relentless love of God. The can't stop, won't stop love of God. The just when you think it's over, just when you think he will stop, he doesn't. It's relentless no matter what you do, where you go, what you say or where you've been, it is relentless. And then Jesus gets to the parable of the prodigal son, probably the most famous of the three. And we'll pick up in Luke chapter 15, verse 11. Jesus says, there was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, father, give me my share 
of the estate. Here's what he's saying. Hey, dad, I want the inheritance that I'm supposed to get when you die. In other words, hey, dad, you are as good as dead to me. So let me just get whatever I'm going to get. Uh, like, let's just pretend like you've already died. So just give me what I'm going to get when you die. It was the most disrespectful thing anybody could have done in that culture. I mean, even now, could you imagine? He was severing, severing his relationship with his father in the most disrespectful way possible. But the father obliges and he, and he gives him the estate. So the, the son, the younger son, goes out and he starts spending his money. You know, he went to Vegas or Amsterdam or the Netherlands. I don't know. He went, you know, all these places. And he's living it up. He's living life. But then Jesus tells us that the younger son squanders everything that he had been given, most likely on gambling, booze, or prostitutes, as we'll find out here in just a second. And then right as he squanders his money, a famine hits. And it's really difficult to get food, and any food that you can find is really expensive. And so here is this guy. He's got no money. He's squandered everything, and now he can't find any food. And Jesus tells us that he becomes so desperate that he goes and gets a job at a pig farm. Now, let me tell you why that is so crazy. You remember who he's talking to? He's talking to Jews. And to Jews, there was not a more unclean animal than pig. They did not do bacon. They did not do barbecue pork. If you touched it, you were considered unclean, and religion said you were out. So he is so desperate, the people listening to the story would have thought, oh my goodness. He's now working in the most unceremonially unclean area he could. And then Jesus says, to make it even worse, that the son was so hungry, he even considered eating the sloth that the pigs were eating themselves. He was in the bottom, I mean, he was rock bottom. I mean, it could not get any worse for this younger son. And then Jesus tells us in verse 17, when he came to his senses. I love that. You ever had a moment where you just kind of come to your senses? He, he, he saw things differently. He, he, he understood that maybe he wasn't right. He came to the realization that his father's home was the best home. I love to call this the, the Dorothy moment. He had this moment where he's like, there's no place like home. That would be in my version of the Bible. And then he stood up there in front of all the pigs and he clicked his heel. No, I'm kidding. He didn't do that. That'd be funny if he did, though, wouldn't it? Just to see if it worked. I don't know. Um, but he came to his senses, and he realized, my dad's servants are treated better than I'm getting treated. I, it would be better for me just to go be a servant for my dad. So he plans this speech. And he plans, he's going to say to his father, he's going to go back home, and he's going to say, Father, I have sinned against heaven, and I have sinned against you. I am no longer worthy, he says. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. So he says, make me like one of your hired servants. So he's got this speech planned, and he's going to say it to his dad. You ever done that? You ever done something stupid? And you're like, oh, gosh, what am I going to say? And you practice it, and you switch words around, and you say it over and over and over again. If you haven't been there, you're a liar, okay? Um, I, I feel like I have it once a week with my wife, let alone my parents. And so, but he's practicing, and we don't know how long the journey was for him to go home. But it was long enough for him to probably practice this a few times. And so he's practicing and he's practicing and then he finally gets close to home and and, and Jesus says this so we can go one more forward but while he was still a long way off his father saw him so he's walking he's on the long long driveway and his father sees him and was filled with anger rage frustration no 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 he was filled with compassion for him he ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and he kissed him. 
He broke every cultural norm in the book that a Jewish man would never show that much emotion. He certainly wouldn't run in any direction. And he ran straight towards the sun. If I was the son, he's probably thinking, oh gosh, dad's going to drop kick me, dad's going to drop kick me, you know? He probably was just like, you know? And then his dad threw his arms around him. And he kissed him, and the son was probably like, "Wait, I don't. Well, hang on. This is uh, this is is this a trick? You're about you're 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 about to do it now. You're about to drop the hammer. About what's going on?" So the son was probably taken aback. So then the son, just like he practiced, he started giving the speech to his father. Then the son said to the father, "He said, here we go, Father, I have sinned against heaven and I have sinned against you. Just like he planned, I am no longer worthy." to be called your son. I am no longer worthy to be a part of this family. I am no longer worthy to belong here. And what I love about this is before he even finishes his speech, in fact, most people believe, and I believe, that the father wasn't even listening to the son. The father interrupts him. And he said, but the father said to the servants, quick, bring the best robe and, and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For the son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. The heart of the father comes blaring through here. That the most important thing wasn't what the son had done. It was that he was back. That, that the son, he was lost and now he was found. He was dead and now he is alive. That he was disconnected from his father and now he's reconnected with his father. That he was gone and now he is found. And that is cause to celebrate. That is cause to throw a party that would make any neighbor that wasn't invited want to call the cops. This parable of the prodigal son Shows us the extravagant love of God. Extra. You know people in your life that are just extra. And you're like, my gosh, will you tone it down, please? Don't, don't give an elbow. <clears throat> extravagant. That it would have been just enough for the, for the son to be welcomed home. It, it would have been just plenty for the, for the dad even just to take him in and let him work as a servant. But no, no, no. He went extra. It was extravagant. He gave him a ring. He gave him a robe. He gave him sandals. And he killed the fattened calf. And I know for you, it's kind of for me even. What do you mean fattened calf? A, a person would have maybe killed a fattened calf one or two times in their entire lifetime. And he did it when his son came home. The extravagant love of God. Just when you think you've gotten all that you're going to get, he gives you more. And the way that the parable ends, the older brother, remember there were two sons, he was not as excited. You got an older sibling that you're like, yeah, I want to be excited. I'm the oldest. I would have been excited. The older brother became angry and refused to go into the, to the celebration. He refused to go to the party. So his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, look, dad, all these years I've been slaving for you and I've never disobeyed your orders. Yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. This is a serious moment, but that's kind of like a funny line. Dad, you never gave me a goat, you know. Okay, sorry, son, you know. Um, it was way more serious than that, but it's kind of funny to read it. But when this son of yours, he doesn't even call him his brother, when this son of yours who has squandered your property with prostitutes come home, you kill the fattened calf for him. Translation, dad, I can't believe you forgave him. I cannot believe you let him come back. I've been doing everything right. 
I've followed everything you told me to do. I've never left home. I've never disrespected you. I've stayed in line with religion. I've done everything you told me to do. How dare you do that for him and not do it for me? How dare you tell him that he can come back? And the parable ends and the older son never went in. And the irony of this story is that the son who never left home was never really home in the first place. The son who never left his father never understood the heart of his father in the first place. The son that thought he was doing everything right in one moment proved that he was doing everything wrong. Because if he really knew what it meant to be home, if he knew what it really meant to have the heart of his father, he would have been the first one in there to celebrate with his younger brother. And remember his audience. Jesus is speaking to the Pharisees, the self-righteous ones who think they have it all together, and then he's talking to these tax collectors and sinners, and here's what Jesus is saying with this parable. Hey, you want to know who belongs in my family? Everybody belongs in my family. And for those of you that think you can draw a line in the sand, for those of you that think that you know who can be in and who shouldn't be in, you are more lost than the ones that we have gone searching for, that the Pharisees use religion as a system of exclusion, but Jesus used relationship as the way home. And so who's welcome? Jesus says everyone is welcome. And what I love about Luke 15, it shows us the heart of our heavenly father, the people over programs, compassion over criticism, love over legalism, relationships over religion. And the reason why that is so foundational is because here at the living room, the heart of God will set the tone for our homes. The heart of God will set the tone for our home. That we are going to be about what our Heavenly Father is about. That this community is going to be about what our Heavenly Father is about. That this family here, this is more than just lights, this is more than just an event. This is family. And we're going to be about what our Heavenly Father is about. So how can this place be a home away from home regardless of where you are? Well, three things. Then we're done. First, home is where your future is not defined by your past. Ooh, I hope y'all hear that tonight. Home is where your future is not defined by your past. That, that your future is not defined by what you've done. Your future is redefined by what Jesus did for you on the cross. That you think you're too far gone. Remember the younger brother and how the father welcomed him. Why? Because your future is not defined by your past. Home is also where illogical, relentless, and extravagant love lives. That you can come here in confidence knowing that the love of God that doesn't make sense to most people is relentless, can't stop, won't stop, and is extravagant, extra, giving you more than you could ever imagine, lives here. And my hope and my prayer is that not only it would live here, but it would rule and live in our hearts so that everybody outside of here would come to see through us, through his children, the illogical, relentless, extravagant love of God. But it's available to you. And then lastly, home is where we celebrate people who find their way back home. Let me just tell you, guys, this place will never be a place that is happy if it stays the same. We will never be a ministry that forgets there are thousands of people who need a home. That there are thousands of students that have no idea there's a heavenly father that loves them. 
and we will never be the type of ministry, we will never be the type of place that forgets they need a home. And if what happens here stays here, we've missed it. If we forget that there's other people out there that are not in here, we've missed it. And come on, how cool would it be if every single Wednesday night we celebrated somebody who came back home, whether we realized it or not? I, I struggled with trying to figure out how to close this message. Um, I knew that I had a lot of things that I wanted to say, but I just didn't really know how to say it all. And so um, I sat up in my office today, and I just, I wrote a, I wrote a letter. And as cheesy as it might sound, um, I, I wrote a letter to, to all of you. And if it's okay, um, I just want to read you this letter, because I thought if I could just read it and tell you exactly what I want to say, that would be the best way. To the person who doesn't have it all together. You've messed up, struggling, and far from perfect. To the person who's skeptical about faith and not sure about this whole Jesus thing. Maybe you're giving faith one more shot. To the person who wants to live a life that makes a difference. And to all of you who desperately want your college age years to tell a story that's worth sharing, this is for you. The living room isn't perfect. It's far from it. And neither am I. I'm even farther from it. The living room isn't just a place where we gather on Wednesday nights. It's bigger than that. It's people. It's family. It's you. It's me. And it's us. Everyone matters. And we're all in this together. You have a role to play and a story to tell. You belong even before you believe, and you belong even if you never do. You are loved always. And when you mess up, and you will, remember, don't run from the church. Run to it. You can come as you are, and you can come back as you are. I want the living room to be the safest place for you to talk about anything. So it's okay to not be okay. God just loves you too much to let you stay that way. With Jesus, there's always hope, always grace, always love. And you're forgiven not because we say so, but because Jesus said so. This year, we're going to laugh together, cry together, <clears throat> sing together, eat together a lot. But I hope we also celebrate together. There are thousands of college-age students in the Kennesaw area that need to know they're invited to the party. But I desperately want you to know that your future is not defined by your past. I want you to know there is a God that has illogical, relentless, extravagant love for you. And you need a home. You need a family. And the living room is a home away from home for so many people. And our hope and my prayer is that it will be a home away from home for every single one of you. I hope because of what God does in you and through you here, 
college will be four of the greatest years of your life. So I don't, I don't know where that hits you or what that says to you. I just hope you leave here knowing that this is not a show. And this is not just a program. We're not just putting on something. I don't get paid more when more people come. I wish I did. That'd be awesome. Um, We just know that Jesus is a really big deal. And I hope you believe me when I say this, but there's a team of people that make the living room happen that care a lot about you. We, We pray for you. How do you pray for someone you don't know? We just pray. We plan for you. We hope for you. Because... God does the same for you. And so we hope you would walk with us this year because it would be our honor to walk with you. Um, I'm going to pray for us, and we're going to sing just one more song. But I want to do something a little bit different. It might be kind of awkward, but we're going we're gonna to make it. I would love everyone to stand up, and I just want you to put your arms around the person to your left and to your right. Fellas, don't be creepy about this. So, hey, hey, the the, the reason, the reason I want to do this is this. Look at me. We're family. We come from different backgrounds, different races. We have different religious beliefs. You might have your arm around somebody who doesn't believe in God at all, and you might have been following Jesus all of your life. Guess what? We're family. And the living room is going to be what it is, not because of anything we do from stage, but because of everything that happens here, because of you, because of us, because of family, because everybody belongs. Let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, Thank you that you are relational. Thank you that you care. Thank you that you search and seek out what is lost. And thank you that the church actually doesn't need to be um, a, a place that's terrifying, but it can be a place that is safe. It can be a place where people belong. It can be a place where people are loved. It can be a place where people find family. And it can be a place where we can just be real and be authentically ourselves. And Father, if anything, thank you that you love us in all of that. I pray that this year would be unlike any other year. I pray you would stir something in every single one of these students' hearts. I pray you would meet them where they are at. And if anything else, I pray you would convince them that they belong. We're excited for this year. And we can't wait to watch you do things that we could never even anticipate. It's in Jesus' name we pray.